So we are continuing our time in our family focus month, and uh, this, this morning we'll be going through the topic of marriage, and it was a great reminder last Sunday to hear of adoption, that our, our lasting relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the, the only lasting marriage, actually, that will... Uh, before eternity is between Jesus and uh, the church. So it was good to hear and be reminded of, of that. And this morning we'll turn our attention, our focus upon marriage, as you can see by the title, Marriage Focus. Okay. And to really, hopefully, dive deep into God's Will God's desire uh, for our marriages here at this church this morning. And as I begin our time together, I want to give you some good news and some bad news. Would you like to hear first? Okay, yeah, let's start with the bad news. Because the dark has to start off, right? The darkness and then the light, right? Okay. All right, we'll start with the darkness. Well, darkness is in that marriage is under attack and that um, in our culture and our society today, more couples are living together than ever before. Pornography is at an all-time high. In fact, apparently one website had over 28 billion hits last year. 22% of online porn is kids under 18. There are more open marriages than ever before. There's a reality TV show that glorifies polygamy. I don't know if you've seen that. Adultery, premarital sex continues to run rampant and divorce rates continue to climb. It's not only that we're dealing with our own fleshly desires and our own sinfulness, but Satan himself is on the prowl. And he makes it a point to attack marriage specifically. And you see the effects of it in our society today. That there is no second thought of sleeping with a stranger. There's no second thought to having premarital sex. It's just normative now. This is where we have come. So it seems very bleak in in terms of the context that we live, that even within the church, those things exist pornography infidelity 
divorce, all of these things even mark the church today. That's the bad news, okay? And here's the good news, okay? That God is still in control. And that God can, for those of us that have placed our faith in him, can transform our thoughts and our very lives in regards to marriage. In fact, he can make marriage a picture of Christ and his church. And that is my hope this morning as we go to his word that we can find hope in Christ And as we do that, that there can be a transformation in our thinking and our lives in regards to marriage. And that there can be hope for happy, joyful, peaceful marriages in Jesus Christ. In fact, here's some of the good news I want to share. Um... I have the privilege of of coming from a family with long-lasting marriages. And um, in fact, on my mother's side, my grandparents, they were married for 78 years. Okay? And that's beyond, that's three years beyond, uh, um, what is it called? The diamond. Your diamond anniversary. I didn't know this, okay, and I found this out. But 25 is your silver, 50 is your golden, and your 75 is your diamond, okay? So, I mean, fun fact there, if you want to, if you have something to aim for now. (laughs) In fact, some of us here have hit our, our silvers, okay? And in fact, are approaching the golden, if not, any goldens? Goldens? No goldens yet. No 50 euros? 50. 50. Praise the Lord right there. We have 50 right there. In fact, uh, they, the, they lived in uh, Calgary, Alberta, and so the government of Calgary recognized their marriage and, and sent them a little certificate. That's cool, right? Yeah. And not that you live for that certificate. (laughs) And if you're like me, your hope is that you would have uh, long-lasting marriages. But uh, more than that, what we want to look at and what we're aiming for is god glorifying marriages. And that is what we want to look at this morning is how can we have a God-glorifying marriage? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Our text this morning is from chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. 
Very short section here, but hopefully that will impact our lives as we go through it. Let me read that for us and then we'll begin our time in the word. This is the word of God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we contemplate these words and pray that the Lord would instill them in our, in our hearts and lives. Lord, we do thank you for this morning as we gather as your body, as your church, sanctify our time as we gather around your word. May it penetrate our hearts, our very thoughts, that we may be transformed to the image of Christ, that our thoughts would be developed and changed in regards to marriage, in regards to your desire for our lives here in this text. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's only three key points this morning. This is the focus of marriage. Number one, we see here The very first point, the focus of marriage is Jesus Christ. And look, the context here is that not only marriage or he's going to order human relationships in the following verses here, right up to the very beginning of chapter 4 in Colossians. But here he ends, it's a capstone to his exhortation to the Colossians in regards to making Christ supreme in all of their lives. There is now a realization that Christ is supreme in all things. And if we are in Christ, if we have been raised in Christ, that we ought to think upon the things above. And as a part of that, there is a putting off and a putting on. There's a putting off You see here at the beginning or in the middle of uh, chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So if we are raised with Christ and we are to think upon the things above, there is a putting off as well. There's a putting to death. In verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The first thing to realizing that the goal, the focus of marriage is Jesus Christ is first of all, acknowledge his lordship, acknowledge who he is in all of life, in your life. And as you do that, there will be a putting off element that we would put off the things of our flesh, of our old self, of our old practices, our old wife's tales of our old wrong thinking. And then in verse 12, you see in chapter three, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these next things. And it's in this context that he ends this section in verse 17. And whatever you do in word, or deed. So the first point is this. 
If we are going to make Jesus the focus of our marriages, we have to first understand that he takes all of our lives. You can't just all of a sudden want to just work on your marriage. You ever heard that term? I wouldn't work on my marriage. The first and foremost thing, the foundational thing that we all have to do is put Jesus Christ, the Lord of all of our lives. We have a tendency to compartmentalize every parts of our lives, different parts of our lives, my school, my work, my family, my marriage. my sports friends, my this friends. The key toward transformation is to understand that God, that Jesus needs to be central in the totality of our lives. It has to be comprehensive in nature that the totality of who we are is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you notice here that I keep on saying the Lord, the Lord. And throughout Colossians, Jesus is central. One of Paul's key points throughout Colossians is to point out the supremacy of Christ in everything, in all of creation, in the church, in our relationships. And even in this section, As he begins in verse 17, from verse 18 on, he uses the word Lord eight times. Seven of those times are referring to God himself, to Jesus. So the first thing that we want to understand in regards to making Jesus, the focus and center of our marriages is to understand he first needs to be the center and focus the entirety of our lives. Is there an area in your life that you keep from Jesus? Lord, I'm going to give you this part of my life, but this part I want to keep to myself. Are there hidden things in our lives that we keep from Jesus? It's very well known that I have a secret stash of snacks. It's been consistent for all of my life. You can ask my roommates. You can ask the guys here pastoral guys, I have a bag of snacks, okay, and it's just for me, nobody else, that's what it is, right, and look, that's a small thing, but we do that, right, we do the, that with even our Lord, there are, there are places in our heart that we want to keep from Jesus, because that's our comfort, That's our go-to. That's the place that we go to that nobody else can have, not even Jesus. 
question for us this morning, what is it for you? Is there something in your heart, in your mind, that you are keeping from the Lord? That expression, word or deed, it covers all of life. I love our worship here, these more, the, uh, our Sunday mornings. It's a great time to sing. And, and Paul mentions that right here in the, the previous verse, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The tricky thing about the, the corporate singing worship and this is colored by my experiences as being part of the church, okay? Was that when I went to church, I would see men and women just fully into the singing and worship of God. And again, praise the Lord for that. They're just like this. Which I love. And by the way, you can do that too here. Only some of our worship leaders will do this once in a while. (laughs) But my point is this, is that once that's done and they go to the parking lot, it's their own thing. It's their own lives. These are the very same people that end up in the clubs. That was my experience. Okay was that there would be a Sunday face, a Sunday attitude, a Sunday worship, and that as soon as it's done, it's clubbing the rest of the six days of the week. And that ought not to be so. It ought to include all aspects of our lives. Question again is, is the centrality of Jesus Christ extending to every area all of your, our lives. Notice the next phrase there in verse 17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that idea of in the name of the Lord Jesus It reveals who he is and who and what he represents. There's an element of authority and reputation as well, living a life that is conscious of it. So living in the name of Jesus Christ is to live consistently to who Jesus is and what he has done. And consequently, what he has revealed for our lives as well. It is the lordship of Jesus Christ that needs to be in every aspect of our lives. Again, the question is, is it? Is, are we living in the name of the Lord Jesus? Are we living consistently with who he is. 
It's a question we have to ask ourselves every day, especially in marriages. Because in marriages, in no other human relationship, can it be bringing the most joy, but the most heartache? It is within the marriage context because they know you so intimately that they can push the right buttons. You ever have a roommate like that? Just, just knows how to rub you the wrong way. Well, imagine that and 100 times worse. Because <laughs> there's no hiding. You know, with your roommates, you can hide a little bit. Like I said, you have your little comfort things. But in marriages, that hiding spot, ugh, Invisible, diminishes. All your weaknesses, all your pet peeves go away. I mean, I mean, you can't hide it. They don't go away. They're there, okay? You just can't hide it anymore. It is within that context that we have to put Jesus as the center of our lives, and that we're doing our lives in a way that is consistent with him. It's especially in those moments when your partner or your wife or your husband, okay, is just pressing on that one thing that you just, you just can't handle. And it's in those moments that we change our frame of thought and our reference back to Jesus and that we understand that we do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a third element here, and I don't want to overlook this. That's that last phrase in verse 17. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think one of the key things for us to be able to keep Jesus as the focus, as a center, is to have an attitude of gratefulness. An attitude of gratefulness, look there, through him. That Jesus is our advocate. It is Jesus by, it is the means by which we have a relationship with the Father. So what it points us to is our gratefulness about Jesus. That he, in fact, is the mediator that allows us to have a relationship with the Father. That gives us the ability to be grateful to the Father. It's just pointing the gospel back to ourselves. As we reflect on Jesus, on what he has done, who he is, it ought to, this, it ought to bubble up in us an attitude of thanksgiving. There can't, we can't help but do that, right? When we realize, I should never be saved in the first place. But in his great mercy and tenderheartedness and compassion, 
He sent his son to die for our sins that we may have an eternal relationship with him. And as our thoughts turn to that, there swells within us a great thankfulness. It's not an attitude of entitlement, of I deserve salvation, I deserve Jesus, I deserve marriage. But, but for the grace of God, I deserve hell, but he's given me a relationship with him. And not only that, he's given me the privilege of marriage. And it is within that context, hopefully, there's a mind shift. There's a paradigm shift that we are not owed marriages, even good ones. We aren't even owed life. But because of Jesus, these things are ours. So when we come from a position, an attitude, a perspective of gratitude and thankfulness, it's going to make the world of difference. As I mentioned, the word Lord here appears eight different times. And it's referring to mostly, like I said, seven of the times to the Lord Jesus. The problem in many of our marriages is that we become the Lord. And we'll see that in the roles that Paul is going to lay out for us. But when we do not have an attitude of thanksgiving, when we are not making Jesus central, it is often because of an entitlement attitude, but also that we take on the position that Jesus should have in our marriages. And that specifically of being the Lord. That we think we are in charge. And I think this is especially a weakness or a potential downfall for the husbands. Because in fact, we are called to lead. We are the head. As it says in different parts of scripture. But we, we, we confuse that with being the Lord. That is a deadly mistake. Okay. There is only one Lord in the, in the marriage. And if we're going to have good ones, we need to understand that and make him central. So, men, don't mix up your headship with the lordship. Okay? That is only for Jesus. Well, that's number one, right? That's number one. You know, before we go on, because really the, the next two are, are, are straightforward and, and, and pretty simple, 
I want us to move to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. And in this section, it's a parallel section with this Colossian passage. But we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 that the husband and wife are mentioned 10 times each, if you include the pronouns. But Christ and the church are referred to 12 times each. So in a passage that pertains to marriage, here in Ephesians chapter 5, Christ and the church is mentioned 20% more. Okay? And it tells us at the end of the day that it's really more about Jesus than it is about us. He is the center. He is the reference point. He is the one who we revolve around. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and and is himself its savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed by her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of this body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of one of you love his wife as himself, let that wife, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wanted to read that entire passage for us just to remind ourselves as Paul fleshes out the responsibilities of the husband and wife. He peppers it throughout with the lordship and the centrality of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, 4, he declares Christ is our life. And as you think about your marriages this morning, as you think about Jesus Christ, is he central and the focus of our marriages. As you evaluate on your own heart, is he central, first of all, to the entirety of it? But for those of you that are married this morning, is he still the center? I know that we all took these vows when we, when we got married. And, you know, if it's a Christian marriage, that's one of the emphasis that uh, is placed during the ceremony, that you covenant with one another, and not to each other, but what? To Christ, to make him the center. 
And as you think about your marriages this morning, is he the center? Or has some other thing taken its place? I think many times our children, if you have children, become the center. Start living for your kids. How am I going to send my child to the best university? Becomes the dominating principle in the family and in the marriage for many families. How can I make my child the productive human being, a contributor of society that he or she needs to be? And then that becomes the dominating principle and force in our marriages. Is it? Has the idolatry of children seeped into the marriages? And that's just one example. There's many others. What is it that's taking the lordship, the center and focus of our lives and of our marriages? We are now in a season where many of you are now becoming empty nesters. So the idolatry is gone. (gasps) Maybe. (laughs) You're just going to move on to another idol. Golf? Travel? Whatever it may be. Or is Christ the center and focus? Are we living for the name, in the name of our Lord Jesus? Some questions to ask ourselves in the marriage relationships. If he is the standard, okay, then the way that I treat my spouse, as we ask ourselves, okay, how do I know that Jesus is the center? How is he the focus? Is he the standard of how I treat my spouse? Am I concerned with the way that I'm thinking about my wife because of my Lord Jesus or my husband? Am I realizing the only one I really answer to is the Lord Jesus when I hurt my wife or my husband? Do I take into consideration his opinion when I am interacting with my spouse? Am I concerned with Jesus' reputation when there is a conflict in my relationship? Is his honor my greatest concern? It will hopefully revolutionize the way in which we will act 
with one another. Because I think, because if, if you've been married for some time, you get callous that you are hurting your spouse. Even in the small ways, because you go, you know, she needs to grow up or he needs to grow up. He could deal with it. We've been married so long. And we justify our sins with one another. But when we enter into the picture, Jesus. Jesus now is being defamed of the way that I'm treating my spouse. It ought to revolutionize our marriages. All right, well, here's the practical outworking of it. <clears throat> the focus of the wife, right? And as, as, as the wife submits to the lordship of Jesus in her life, Paul calls the wives to very specific things. Submit to your husband's. The idea is to arrange oneself, to order yourself under another. Sometimes it was used as a military term for submitting to a superior officer. It is the most, it's the most common biblical term for the English word submission. And this is what Paul calls wives to, to submit to your husbands. We want to note a couple of things there. First, it's to the husband, okay? You don't submit to your kids. You don't submit to anyone else. You submit to your husbands. Once you've entered into the marriage covenant, you've covenanted before all and, and God, that you will love him and your husband, one of the key roles, one of the main roles here is to submit to him. So, you know, uh, ladies, you don't have to submit to me. I mean, as your elder, actually, you're supposed to. Okay? <laughs> but in the marriage context is what I'm talking about. Okay? You don't submit to any other man it is to your husband. You know, the, what's, what's unfortunate uh, these days is that often, um, again, the, the priority becomes uh, the children. Children, what do you want? Okay, whatever the kids want. Okay. And look, I say it out of experience, okay? Not what your husband wants, but what your kids want, okay? And we're not talking about some uh, mindless, slavish obedience where there's no dialogue, where there is no interaction. This is not what submission is. It is what it is. It is after that conversation, after that dialogue, as long as it is not sin, that there is a willingness to order yourself under. Okay, did you understand that? 
as long as it is not violating your love relationship with the Lord, that is Acts chapter 5, okay, that you are not going against the will of God, in all other things, your role, your love for the Lord ought to express itself in submission. It is an intentional, willful, purposeful action. It is not a forced obedience. It's an expression of your love for Jesus first and also for your husband. It is a no-no word these days to be used. Uh, in fact, you know, for quite some time now. I remember um, I, I did a, a wedding for my cousin up in Canada, and uh, I was talking about Ephesians 5. And I was talking about uh, when I was uh, giving them instructions in regards to marriage and went over that and uh, talked about submission. I literally heard gasps. <gasps> Did he say that? Now, look, I think in conservative church circles, it's not as a, you know, a big deal, okay? But apparently my, my cousin goes to a kind of liberal church. <laughs> I don't know that. Okay. I just, you know, I was just shocked because uh, I heard literal gasps when I'm talking about instructions to his wife. Go, <gasps> It ought to be a normative thing, okay? And what makes it normative is first, our allegiance to our Lord Jesus, because this is what he desires, okay? And then secondly, of the instructions to the husband. You know, I have a very rebellious heart, and uh, one of the key elements that moved me toward uh, Jesus was, of course, Jesus himself, but it was my parents, and particularly my dad, okay? Because he is such a kind-hearted man, a gentleman. And it was his love for me that really tamed the rage of my heart and soul. And I believe, as we look to the next focus here, oh, I'm sorry. Let me explain the the second part there. It's fitting, okay? It's appropriate for those in the Lord. If you are in the Lord, it says here, it is as is fitting in the Lord. For those of us that are in Jesus, wives, if you are in the Lord Jesus, it is appropriate for you to submit to your husbands. It is a natural manifestation of you being in Jesus Christ. All right, and now let's transition to the last. The focus of the husband is to love. (sighs) 
Husbands, love your wives. And before you, you obsess over this idea of submission and get hung up on that, Husbands, if we love our wives, that's not going to be an issue. Her arranging themselves under us, if we are loving our wives correctly and appropriately, that submission is not going to be an issue. There's only conflict, or there is conflict when that's not being done often. When the husband doesn't understand his focus, when he doesn't understand his role, that he needs to love his wives, his wife. (laughs) Oh boy. I only have one wife, honey, one wife. (laughs) Once enough, yeah. It's that word agapeo, okay? Again, it's willful, it's volitional, it's a choice. It's to do what is best for Jesus and for her. Often it's called an unconditional love. It's a love of God toward us. So the love is not dependent upon whether she submits to me. And often we'll do that tit for tat. I'll love her if she submits. I'll submit if he loves. It's that unending sinful dance that many marriages end up in. Well, he's not fulfilling his role. You don't know the kind of wife that I have. Self-willed, doesn't listen to a thing I say. And it's in that context that Paul calls us to these things. Even when there is sin, even when there is conflict, because of Jesus, husbands, we need to love. It is a love that will love her even in the midst of her sinfulness, even in the midst of your sinfulness. It's a volitional, willful intentional, purposeful action. That I will consider the needs of my wife before myself. Just as Christ also loved the church, he had no interest in dying. But Father, your will be done. And he did it. It was because he loved the church, he gave himself up for her. 
Men, we need to remind ourselves of this truth and reality. The times when our wife is not lovely or lovable in our own estimation and our eyes is exactly the time when we look to Jesus. Right? And we consider his call, his focus for us is to love our wives. It's simple, isn't it? It's very simple. The second thing is do not be harsh. And this is the idea of to make bitter. Do we love our wives in a way that will not bring up resentment and bitterness? Or have we developed the skill and the habits to annoy her? So you you see where it's going, because over the course of our marriages, you can develop skills. Skills to push the buttons, or skills to love and develop compassion, kindness, holiness, and not bitterness. So just think of the way in which you are interacting with your wives. Is is it moving her toward resentment, toward bitterness, or are you making her lovely before the Lord? And men, we do this in in different ways. We do it by expectations. We do it by anger. We do it by displeasure. Okay. I know that I do that for myself. Okay. Sometimes I try to move my wife with my anger. The dishes are not done. This house is a mess. What are you doing with your time? Those are embittering words. So the skill is Moving, not for manipulation, but moving them toward Jesus. Men, as you think about your love for your wife, is it moving them toward Jesus or toward your own desires? And that's what I meant by lordship. That you are the Lord not Jesus. We need to move our wives, not for manipulation's sake, but for Jesus' sake. That our overarching concern is their relationship with our Lord. 
if that is the focus, then we're going to have not only long-lasting marriages, and I pray, I pray that, I pray that for this church. And the Lord has been gracious. He's granted us many marriages that have gone 15, 20, 25 years now. But it's not, that's not the goal, is it? It is God-honoring, God-glorifying marriages that we're after here. We can have peaceful, we can have loving, we can have joyful marriages. That lasts a lifetime. But it's got to be our goal to keep Jesus at the center. And as we do that, then these roles become a natural manifestation of our love for Jesus. I will love my wife, and she will submit to me as we keep Jesus the focus of our bond together. Church, I pray that you are praying for these things because this is impossible. This is not something that comes to the natural human heart. It only comes when we are under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. As we consecrate our thoughts, our hearts to Jesus and make him the focus of all of our lives. We have to pray that, church. We have to pray that, that we would desire to glorify him because of that. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for, first of all, the, the immeasurable grace that you've shown to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege for those of us that have reached out in faith to call you our Lord and Master, our Savior, that we, we now have a relationship with you, the Father. And Lord, we pray that you would help each and every one of us that have proclaimed that to make Jesus the center of our lives and then the center of our marriages here. Pray, Lord, that, again, it would not be an end to itself, but it would point to the glory of God, that ultimately you would be glorified in all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name.